Support for Oyster World Radio comes from you, our listeners. If you would like to support the show, visit the link in the show description or visit patreon.com slash oysterworldradio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes coverage of how these random interviews materialize, plus some unique travel tips. So don't miss out and support the show today. More support means meeting more people that you would normally never meet, less travel headaches while on the road, and you get to learn the ins and outs of everywhere I go. Become a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash oysterworldradio. All the links are in the show description, and support the show today. Welcome to Oyster World. Oyster World. Radio. Hello, Oysters, and welcome to another episode of Oyster World Radio, the podcast where we broaden our perspectives by listening to the stories of people from all over the globe. I'm Nathan Lieberman, and in this episode, we head to the Holy City for a chat with Yael and Jake Kaufman. Yael and Jake grew up in New York, but both independently realized that their true home was in Israel. Now, Israel has been a mainstay in global headlines across the world as the Israeli-Palestinian conflict persists in the land of milk and honey. In short, it is really complicated, but luckily we have a young couple to help hash it out. With their experience in the Israeli armed forces and just the everyday life of being in Israel, this is a great place to begin to digest what is happening along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So let's get right to it. Coming from Jerusalem, Israel, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Yael and Jake Kaufman. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Yeah. Jake and Yael, welcome to Oyster World Radio, your first podcast ever. First podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited to be here. (laughs) I'm excited to be here too. We're in the beautiful city of Jerusalem. And my God, what a freaking city. I don't know if I've ever been in a spot like this with so much significance. And you guys live here. That must be pretty cool. Yeah, it's really special. Actually, I was talking to Jake once about it that... You know, it's hard to remember the significance when you live somewhere all the time and you just forget about the significance. But that I think that makes it even more special that like you're able to forget that like we do our random grocery shopping in a place that's so special. Yeah, exactly. Everything, everything you guys do is in a place that has thousands of years of significance. So what's your favorite part? A hard question. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um... Um, I actually, I really love the views here. I just think between panoramic views of like forests around Jerusalem or actually within the city of Jerusalem the old city the walls the buildings I feel like everywhere I go is so beautiful it's not like oh there's like the nice area of the city I love walking around the whole city and just exploring and finding all the beautiful places here yeah that's very true even in the not old city the houses are beautiful. The streets are with that white stone. Yeah, it's actually, I'm pretty sure it's a law. Yeah, it's by law. Oh, it's by law. Jerusalem, the have... facades have to be like a certain percentage made out of Jerusalem stone of every building. Oh, no kidding. So that was on purpose. That yeah, yeah. So <laughs> well, it makes sense. And they, they did a pretty good job. So what about you, Jake? What's your favorite part? Um, I think my favorite part is just the people all around, kind of the interactions. I feel like there's this kind of friendliness that's always, and people are like, Sometimes always ready for a fight, but at the same time, like always there to help you out. I don't exactly know how to describe it, but I it's think like... that's a really good way to describe it. People are <laughs> You've experienced people it? are a little bit on edge, 
yeah. at first and you see a lot of army walking around with their their weapons and and yeah. stuff but at the same time it's a lovely they're lovely people yeah, in a for place sure, you for know sure. like no one has a facade it's just like you see what you get we always say like people will yell at a parent to tell them how to parent their child but it's because they care because they think it's like also their child to parent because everyone feels like this big family so they feel like they have the right to yell at them yeah or like yell was like showing a bus one time and it was crowded and there was a mom who had was like four or five kids with her and she just like handed her the baby like total stranger can you just hold my baby for the next hour and a half on the bus Really? Because yeah. it's just, a, you know, we're, we're a community. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, that, it's like you like, it. almost know everyone. Somehow you find the connection if you talk for five minutes. Or... Yeah, hold my baby. No yeah, big deal. Exactly. <laughs> but there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah, for sure. I think there's something really, like, pure about that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to... It's like a huge, diverse family. Yeah. It's yeah, a very, exactly. very diverse family. Exactly. I think it's something that blows me away is that, like... uh the Jewish people as a whole, like in Israel, like talk to anyone, like almost no one has, you know, four grandparents who were born here, come from like all over the world, but like it's still a, in some ways a very similar background, a lot of like shared history and traditions and things like that. So it's, yeah, big, a big family that's also like super diverse and like everyone's totally different. I guess that's true because you guys mentioned that all, there's a ton of restaurants and places with other backgrounds and yeah. that must be because a lot the of immigrants from europe oh my goodness the the hummus bar that i went to was phenomenal of <laughs> course but it, it's interesting to see the the impact and the diversity that comes from a lot of the immigration from other places to the jewish homeland and yeah. i'm sure you see that on a daily basis yeah for sure even like in just like my first cousins i have cousins married into the family my family history is from poland and germany the cousins who like backgrounds from uh, Yemen, Morocco, Russia, Iraq, just all different places. Well, and it's like, yeah. you know, everyone's just, you have a lot in common. So it's like not intermarriage and like, a, you know, this like clashing of like cultures in the same way, but it's just like happy to come from different places. So bring yeah. different things together. One family from a whole bunch of different places. Yeah. yeah. Something exactly. really pretty about that. So this is a little bit all new to you guys too, because you weren't born here. You're Americans just like me. Oh, yeah. From uh, the great state of New York and Long Island. And you grew up in the same town. So this is not, being with each other is not new. You just have transplanted to a new place. And let's figure out how the hell you guys did that. <laughs> <laughs> so starting from the beginning, you come from what you call the Five Towns, which is five a little towns. suburb outside of New York City. Yeah, yeah, more or less. It's kind of, yeah, they just kind of got grouped together as five, but they like run into everything else. So. <laughs> Nice so, little place. <laughs> so tell me, tell me a little bit about this town. Where, I guess, what would what would it look like if you're walking down the main stretch? So the main stretch is Central Avenue. That's where all the restaurants are, and it's basically pizza store, bank, pizza store, bank, nail salon, some bagels in between, bagels, some sushi places. But like, I think what we're that sounds like the most up. New York thing. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think I think what makes it different than like most of you know New York, the rest of the U.S. is that like almost every restaurant that was listed there, pretty much every one, is kosher certified uh, mm. because it's like a very heavily observant Jewish uh, area. So there's like lots of synagogues also, and just people walk around like on the streets, tons of people like wearing uh, yarmulkes or all different sorts. You know, a lot, a lot of Jews. They sound like seventy percent Jewish or something like that. Seventy oh, percent Jewish. Was it isolated in that way? Do you think? Or, well, 30% non-Jewish, but... So I would say it's definitely isolated in its own 
span of the five towns, but I think because it's so close to Manhattan and just the rest of New York, then it's not actually isolating in that way because you're not you're not like in a suburb that's totally not near any other sort of um no, metropolitan just... area. Right. Like yeah, the... it wasn't the metropolitan area, it was Right. So it was like maybe like the towns themselves are pretty homogenous, but like right there is like New York City, which has like every group of people in the world. Exactly. Did you guys go to New York City often? Yeah, all the time. I actually feel like I didn't at all when I was growing up, and then I go back now, and I'm like, how was I not here all the time? There's just like infinite things to do, and like, yeah, you were on the doorstep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things like you don't appreciate when, especially like I moved here when I was 18, so just like as a kid growing up, you just. You know, don't think about these things so much. True. No, so I think my family went a lot. My parents also both work in the city, so they kind of know the ropes of the city. And then we would go a lot on Sundays, to, like different museums. What was your craziest New York story, if you have one? Well, actually, okay, this is a funny story. Basically, so there are different laws of dress within Jewish law, what you wear. And so it's very typical of of Jewish religious women to wear skirts and there was one day in the city where I happened to be wearing a skirt and I wasn't always wearing skirts up until that point I was wearing whatever I wanted and then and I happened to be wearing a skirt and this woman came up to me in um, Penn Station and she was like are you Jewish I was like yeah wow that's so crazy how'd you know that she's like oh you just look jewish i was like wow must be the skirt and then (laughs) she she said to me oh so nice that you're here do you want me to buy you breakfast i was like wow seriously just oh i'm like cool you think i look jewish and so now you want to buy me breakfast cool and I actually decided on that day that I was going to start wearing skirts every day. Like, you know, the food made me follow the Jewish law. It was, uh... That is the best reason to start following a religious law that yeah, I've ever exactly. heard in Free my food. life. Food for the donuts. <laughs> Free food. If you can get a New Yorker off the street to not only be nice to you, but buy you breakfast just by looking great, <laughs> that, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the reason why you you wore, wore yeah, skirts. Yeah, still wear skirts this day, every oh, day, because of that woman, that Bobby breakfast. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe we should start wearing skirts, Jake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get free food out of it. <laughs> that that sounds it? pretty exactly. damn good. Well, you guys, um, you guys also grew up together, and you guys are still together, which is wonderful. But it didn't. Woo! Always work out that way. You went to the same class, but didn't even know that each other existed for most of the same time, which is probably the cutest high school romance story I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. Just passing each other by in the hallways yeah. as walking to class. So what? when did you guys meet each other? So it was actually in high school that we became friends. We were together, not in the same class, but in the same grade from, I don't know, what year did you? Well, a lot of the same classes also. Not before then. Oh, oh okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so we met in, like, ninth grade. We had, like, a math class together where, like, she sat in front of me, and that's, you know, that's when we started to, like... Oh, she sat in front of you, too, of course. (laughs) Why? I said before, we met in debate. Oh, yeah, but, like, barely. (laughs) This is when I was learning how to talk to boys in eighth grade. And I was was not learning how to talk to girls, so it just didn't go go much. It went pretty much as well as every, yeah, as expected, you know, (laughs) as in seventh or eighth or ninth grade, socially awkward. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. There's actually this, like, so we were in, like, a Jewish day school, 
And they have this strange kind of like, because they're, you know, modern, part of the modern world, but also like trying to adhere to like a traditional uh, set of like social mores. All our classes were like mixed, um, mixed genders, boys and girls together. Mm -hmm. And then just in middle school, just like in sixth, seventh and eighth grade, when everyone's totally like growing into their bodies and feeling super awkward, they separate you. And then in high school, put you back together. So it's like, like, yeah, it's a miserable way. to. (laughs) So not only is it hard just being a teenager and living life, this is. You like the separating, come together, exactly. trying to talk to girls. Now there are no girls, and now the girls are back again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> same, same for same for you though. And the guys, like the guys oh, are yes, there. Now they're not so there. And... Awkward. Wow. <laughs> what was an? Can you guys go through an awkward interaction with each um, other? Like, yeah, what was your favorite? I actually one of my best friends still to this day. So I I didn't have many like, guy friends at this point on like my own terms, but we rode the bus together and. I called him Pretzel Boy because he just was eating pretzels and then that just stuck around for way too long because I just <laughs> didn't know how to get past any joke or I, and I didn't know what to say past that sentence. So I would just always like call him Pretzel Boy. Like Pretzel, pretzel Boy. Hey, oh. Pretzel Boy. And now what do I say? Like the extent of our relationship <laughs> on the bus, but now we're best friends. <laughs> 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 the, yep, that sounds like yeah, yeah, eighth grade, eighth and ninth grade yeah, for sure. So, so eighth grade was not a good time for us to strike up a friendship, but then ninth grade we had some classes together, it was more casual, and then and then we started hanging out more. Yeah, and that carried on. And uh, Yael, you said that you really had a crush on this oh, guy yeah. for a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the Since time. Ninth but... grade. And I also thought I was being so subtle about it, but I was being the least subtle. <laughs> go um, on like please explain i just thought like oh like i have a crush but it's a secret no one knows and <laughs> it's like obviously everyone knew jake is that true oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then he actually went out with me in 10th grade he was yeah. pitied me enough no it wasn't pitied we, it was nice we went out for like a hot sec it and then nice. it was for like a month and then we, it was like summer break and we were going different places and i was like oh I don't think we're ready to do this whole long distance kind of serious thing. So let's just break up. And, I was like, wow, yeah. really? It's so funny. <laughs> wow, just like that ice rough. cold Jake, rough. man. Yeah. <laughs> One it month. came out of nowhere. He was just like, hey, uh, let's talk. I was like, cool, about what? He was like, yeah, I think we should break up. I'm like, really? I don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I agree. We're married now, but the resentment is still there. Yeah, I was going to say. going to be hearing about it until I'm 80. Absolutely. <laughs> No, no, there's no way you're going to ever get out of that for the rest of life. But it's a joke now, hopefully. Yeah, it's barely a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. I always say that it's, I still feel awkward that I liked him for so much longer than he liked me. He's like, yeah, we're literally married. It's not awkward. We very much have a mutual feelings about each other now. I'm like, no, no, it's like still awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty set and, you know. You guys have pronounced your love for each other at yeah, this yeah, point, yeah. so <laughs> it, it, you don't get bonus points for doing it longer. Come oh, on. I, feel like I, I called it first. I knew it would happen. Yeah. So how how did it happen? You guys broke up. Not ready for the long distance thing. Of course, it's high school. You're still trying to figure stuff out, but you seem to figure it out. Yeah. 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 Woo. Not too long after. So yeah, we for um, the win. yeah for the win. Jake for the win. Both won. Aww. Aww. Um, uh, so basically, so as I said, it's like a, it's like a Orthodox Jewish day school. So it was like pretty common that like all the students kind of like apply to college uh, in 12th grade. And then after you accept it, you request like a one year deferral and people take a gap year. Usually to like, so we had like probably like 80% of our grade 
went on gap year, we come to Israel to like study like Jewish things, Jewish texts, like experience like land of Israel and that connection and all that. So we both did that. Yeah, which I think is a wonderful idea. And I wish that more people had an opportunity to do that because you seem to have figured a lot of stuff out. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a really special year to get to work on yourself. I think when you rush into university, it's very hard to take the time to actually figure out who you are and what you stand for. You're kind of just like, okay, classes, let's go. Um, and so it's a really great opportunity before you kind of, I don't know what's considered the real world, but before you got into the quote unquote real world, to figure out who you are and what you really believe in. Yeah, exactly. So that's what this trip was for you two, I'm yeah. guessing. What's this? And then, so that's when our relationship. So we were, all, we were best friends throughout high school, even throughout the breakups. Like we still stayed best friends. Uh, breakups, breakup one. Um, <laughs> and and um, so we always were best friends, but we didn't have such a deep relationship. We like had fun all the time. But when we were studying here in Israel, we we're kind of encountering these deeper ideas and we started talking about these ideas together. And so that created a much deeper relationship between us. Right. And I was still, you know, trying to like uh, branch out a little or whatever. And then like, um, I don't even know how to say it. That's what, like that we still jerk. have beef in Israel? No, yeah. Basically, maybe I wasn't so, um, I don't know how to say it. Oh, you can I be honest. So, I wasn't so good at... <laughs> At, at spending so much time with Yael uh, when we were in Israel. Like, even you called we yourself both, a jerk, didn't you? you I, I was did. a jerk. I don't I was, know why I you're being so a jerk yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying around New Year's. Yeah, because it's on record. Oh, yeah. That's oh, why. oh, this is good. This is good. Basically, so in, in my religious seminary on New Year's, we were just hanging out in the dorms. And so we wanted to do something significant on New Year's. And, you know, it's all about working on yourself. And so we decided that we were going to burn our regrets on New Year's. And so I burned Jake's name on New Year's. Ouch. Yeah, yeah big time. Rough. And then yeah. uh, And then four years later on the same date on New Year's twenty seventeen we got married. So we, we fixed uh Damn, so something worked. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, this is right in the, the old town too. This is yeah, where you studied yeah, of, of Jerusalem, where there's thousands and thousands of years of human history in this romantic white bricked setting. It's only, um, you know, you might have burned his name, but <laughs> it it was almost like fate. Come on. That's what it must have felt like to yeah. it. For sure. For uh, sure. So, yeah, there's a little bit of, like, confused emotions along the way. Should we start something? Should we not? And then at, at a certain point in the year, we kind of both were, like, thinking independently uh, about, like, you know, our hierarchy of values. What do we believe in? What do we want to do? Whatever. Um, and like kind of independently, both came to the conclusion that we wanted to to stay in Israel, um, to like, you know, stay in like the land uh, of the Jewish people and like be part of that incredible story uh, of its own. Um, yeah. And this is where the big jump comes in, which I think is really remarkable for your story together is that, yeah, of course, uh, I it seems like you guys had a, a really fun and playful, now playful, maybe not at the time, coming together. But now you decided together and both independently chose to move to another country. And that is a huge jump for anyone, let alone someone just coming out of, of high school. So how did you guys strike up that conversation? Did you know each other wanted to stay? Did you know that you wanted to do it together. What what was that conversation like so to move I know forward? In, in high school, um, we both 
I think in high school knew that we wanted to live in Israel at some point. And we used to always tell each other, like, oh, we'll be neighbors when we move to Israel. And then our friends would joke and be like, oh, if you guys are going to be neighbors, why don't you just get married? We're like, ha ha, so funny. (laughs) Um, So I think we both knew independently and coming from different places that we wanted to be in Israel. Like, we definitely decided at different uh, life stages. But... Um, I think like we both knew before we were even dating that we both wanted to be here, which obviously made it a lot more convenient to end up together when we both want to be in the same place. Yeah. For me, it's like you said, like, you know, it's a crazy decision to decide at 18 to move, you know, to a foreign country. I guess for me, like the big, the big push was the, or like pull was the fact that I didn't feel like a foreign country. Maybe a strange thing to feel like a sense of like homecoming to a place that like you, you haven't lived before, like a place you didn't grow up that like should be foreign. I think it goes back kind of to what you were saying earlier. Like, it's kind of, you know, it's a crazy place, a lot going on. But at the end of the day, like, there's some kind of, like, feeling of, like, family. People around you kind of know in, in the bigger picture, like, th- things about you. Or, like, just, like, the language on the streets is the language that, like, you know, you use in, like, your prayers and stuff like that. Like, the holidays go around, like, the Jewish calendar. It's just suddenly you're not, like, from a minority group. Like, you just are like everyone else. It's just, like, it felt, like, very, like, natural in a way. Yeah, and that's, that's really well said. And something that's really interesting and i don't think a lot of people know is even possible there's places that feel like home even though they're not your home or maybe you gel with a culture that isn't your own or something that you grew up in was that gra- was it instant or was it was it when you got here wow okay i really jive with what's going on here was there a process to realize that this is this feels like home yeah i mean for me it was like i have you know um my grandparents and like i have a lot of cousins who live here so we would come to visit um pretty frequently so i knew like from very young age that like i really like you know connected to the place and loved it so it was kind of in my long-term future i saw myself here at some point uh for me the big thing wasn't that initial like the fact of that connected but it was like really deepening that connection and the decision that rather than go to the states and like learn like university like studying university as i was planning that like I felt kind of an obligation if I was going to be living in this country in the long term to stay and serve serve military service like everyone else uh, or most citizens in the country do um, to kind of like fulfill that national obligation. Yeah, and I guess this is a question for both of you as well. But what what does it feel? It seems like you guys have found your home, and what what does that feel like? Because I know. A couple of my friends and people that I've met do struggle in the place that they're at and they think it's them. But what is it, if you can even describe it, what does it feel like to feel at home in a place? Um, so I think for me, one of the reasons why I really love living in Israel is because I do feel that the culture much more fits my personality than a fast-paced America and especially New York. Um, okay. And so I, I would say feeling like home is... A feeling where not necessarily that your ideals match up with everyone around you, but that people understand why you're doing something. You know, even if somebody else isn't religious here and they don't they don't like believe in all of the Jewish traditions, they still understand why I'm like dancing in the streets on some random holiday. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. I feel like yeah, it's that it's not that you have to be best friends and the same as everyone around you, but like you can be with your friends, whatever group you're in, be open and public about who you are and what you're doing and like, you know, what you're about. And like, that's fine. You get where you're coming from. No one looks twice. 
And they don't even have to be a part of the Jewish community. They just, but they understand. Right. It's just, you know, the life that you're living is like part of the national fabric here. Not just a part of like the culture, whether or not they're from your sub-community, whatever it is, they get where you're coming from. So let's say it's like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of like example. Let's say something like from like the Ethiopian Jewish community, let's say, which has different traditions than like what I have. And if they're like walking around in New York, like most people have no idea what they're doing. You know, they wear white on Sabbath, usually like all white. That looks strange if they come from New York here. It's walk around Jerusalem. Ethiopian people, like people of Ethiopian descent wearing white clothing. It's like, you don't look twice. You know, it's what they do. Even if it's not what you do. Oh man, guys, that's so beautiful. You know, <laughs> it's just, yeah, you're allowed to be who you are. Yeah. And that, that's it. It doesn't matter what community, Ethiopia, New York, yeah. Yemen, <laughs> Poland, wherever you come from, you're just accepted for who you are. And that's something really nice. I wish more of the world was that way, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. We're painting it too into like, obviously, you know, complicated everywhere. That's true. Perfect, That's but. true. No, we're, we're slowly coming together, this world of ours, slowly but surely. Piece by piece. But I guess that segues into the next point is you, to gain Israelis, tell me if I'm wrong, but you had to join the army or do service to gain citizenship. Is that, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, the citizenship your is yours. Once you are an Israeli citizen of a certain age, there's a mandatory draft and there are exceptions to the draft. And particularly uh, religious Jewish women often uh, are, are exempt and then choose to opt in for other forms of national service, volunteer work for a year or two years, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, Arab Israelis aren't subject to mandatory draft. Ultra-Orthodox Israelis aren't subject. So there's like different groups. But the general rule is that all citizens, when they turn 18, or I got citizenship when I was 20, so I'm still like within the category, are like draft. Gotcha. So you went. So I went. So I went. Yeah. And you did as well. Yeah, I did too. And this is, Israel has been now on in the headlines for for a while now. Yeah. A lot, a lot of Since the beginning, more or less. <laughs> yeah, since, since, since the beginning. And... You guys joined the army. So in a way, you have a perspective of what was actually happening as small as a piece as it might be. You still might have seen. So for someone like me that sees the headline, like what what is your perception about what's happening? Not not to to stop being around the bush. There's a lot of scrutiny with the armed forces in, in Israel, but what really happened with you guys in your so in I years in service? Yeah, my service was not related at all to any sort of national security issues. My job was basically a social worker within the army, and my job was to take care of a certain group of soldiers and make sure that they don't fall between the cracks in a big system. And so basically because it's a mandatory draft, the army sees itself as also this security blanket for the people that are within the system. And so I took care of soldiers who don't live at home for any sort of reasons, either soldiers who moved from foreign countries and then drafted to the army like me, or um, soldiers who kind of were kicked out of their homes and then don't have someone supporting them, or soldiers who live at home but have kind of socioeconomic issues and need financial That's a very health. tough job. Yeah, it's, it was very emotionally tough. So that's actually kind of why I chose the job, because I thought it was really amazing that the army gave me a support system and I wanted to pay that back. And I so it is it's a desk job. I was sitting in an air conditioned office all day. It's, you know, pretty great conditions, but it, it was emotionally draining. But I, I really felt like I was giving something special. And that was also really a unique experience for me to feel like I'm part of the army, but I'm just helping the people in it. Oh, so it is also a big safety net for 
the younger generations of Israel. Right, for sure. Just to know that that once you're in the army, it's not that, oh, that's a time when, like, you get deeper into your issues, but that is, like, a time when the army wants to help you get out of your issues or just help you, like, alleviate the troubles that you have. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like a good community to do that, too, with a lot of people maybe going through the same thing, you helping. Yeah, for sure. You went through it, so. It was was crazy because I just met people of like all different backgrounds like we were saying how israel is really a place where so many different kinds of backgrounds come together so i also had soldiers who are moving from all these different countries who just all wanted to be here which was really special but then it's also it it just helped me um you know realize that there are a lot of people that need help and it, it feels good to support people Hell yeah. <laughs> and that's not a side that you see very much as well as if any army is right. the, yeah, exactly. the, the, the safety net that it can provide. So, and what about you, Jake? Yeah, for sure. I, my army experience was definitely um, different in certain ways. I was a combat soldier. I drafted to the Navy um, and I served for a year and a half in a unit. I guess, I guess the parallel in the United States is more similar to the Coast Guard. Mm, um, okay. It's like a pretty small ship i guess relatively it's like these uh i don't know the terms in english uh a cruiser does that make sense i'm, I'm not very well okay. versed in even english <laughs> terms it's so. like a ship, like the <laughs> staff is like uh um we're not talking aircraft carriers no 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 yeah, it's anything. like it's like yeah. 20 20 guys on the ship okay it like maxes out at 23 minimum 12 something like that and so but but basically we were responsible for patrolling um israel's borders and specifically where i was stationed we were responsible for patrolling the border with Gaza. Mm-hmm. Um, and like largely that entails like enforcing the naval blockade on Gaza. So that's something that like uh, yeah. gets a lot of um, airtime, I guess, on the news. Yeah, very true. So it's interesting to talk about my experience there. Usually, and I think this is true in any military around the world, is basically like it's super boring unless there's like, you know, something going on, if there's a war or something like that. Obviously, the wars are things you're mo- most about. In the time that I was there stationed, like there wasn't a war. Um, there hasn't really been like major conflict, major by Israeli standards since 2014. So it's like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly what, what we were in charge of is like just enforcing the fact that, you know, usually when there's a border between two countries, whether official or unofficial, they're just kind of like a line or a fence, something that could be guarded. And here's just open water that on the maps, it says like this side, people are allowed to be on this side. They're, they're not. But like the line doesn't, doesn't really exist. So a lot of what we dealt with is like fishermen coming out from Gaza who you know, because of the situation is like, there's certain like limitations placed on the Bay of Israel because, um, you know, like ongoing conflict with the rulers of the Gaza Strip and like continued attempts to like smuggle in uh, weapons and right. all sorts of uh, not so nice stuff. Right. Um, so like what we're in charge of making sure that like ships don't come in or out of the zone without authorization. That being said, like a lot of what you're dealing with is fishermen who are genuinely constricted in like the amount of space allowed to fish in and like trying to go out further which is like you know it's a sad situation but also nothing you do at a certain level like you know the rules are the rules and they have to be you know how the rules are made by the higher-ups is like one question but i think in terms of day-to-day enforcement i was very impressed by the like what the rules of engagement were and like how how like strict they were how super last resort it is to like fire any kind of bullet even anywhere near a ship not like talking about like actual like attempts like shoot someone like that but even like warning shots or stuff like that there's like a whole situation like going on the loudspeaker and like warning them beforehand and yeah like I, I was impressed by the fact the rules of engagement i think were you know very very much designed very carefully to like avoid uh human casualty damaging property and stuff like that but it's like you know kind of 
we all kind of knew that there's it's like a word in Hebrew, uh, miskin. Miskin means like um, like someone who's like unfortunate, you know, like their 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 fate is like you know their lot in life is not so great. And so we all knew that you know the people of Gaza is like they're miskin. You know, we have to send them back, and like you know, sad situation. But like also, like we have to send them back, and like there's no real like solution common horizon there. It's like a sad reality to talk about. What is it like? Two million people, a million and a half people living in a state of miskin. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, what do you guys think about that now that you've been here for a while and have joined service and lived in Israel? It's a very, very complicated issue. Yeah. And uh, it yeah. goes deep on both sides, but you guys know more than me. So what do, what do you think? For sure. I this mean, is a tough one. So yeah, take, yeah, take yeah, your time. A tough, <laughs> a tough one. Specifically, I I'm think putting you both like, on the spot. Yeah, yeah. I guess. No, I do. I do have a lot of opinions I like mean, I about think this the difference stuff between between Gaza and the rest of the yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. I think Gaza is a more complicated case because it's really tough to see as long as Hamas stays in control any kind of like real improvement to the situation like in the charter of you know the, the ruling group that like vowed to like the destruction of, of the jewish state and like taking back the entire like there's no space really for compromise in their positions as they exist now so it's yeah it, it's hard to see hard to think about but it is you know the suffering is both a product of the situation but it's like also you know there's like a lot of intentional like like the reason that instruction materials aren't allowed in, which is like, you know, a miserable reality for people who are living there to not be able to build houses after the houses are destroyed and like conflicts and stuff like that. But the reality is that like the concrete that does get in, that is like smuggled in or whatever is used to build like tunnels that go under the border that are used to kidnap soldiers and stuff like that. It's all very documented. So it's really hard to see some kind of solution there without like something radically changing. It seems like the, the poor people get caught in the middle. As yeah. they always yeah. do in conflicts like this. Yeah, it's a really just like unfortunate and sad situation that I feel like can't. I don't know. I personally feel like it needs to be changed from within, but I also, A, have no idea what that would look like or how that could happen. Yeah. I mean, I think with, with Gaza specifically, the lesson that has entered mainstream Israeli consciousness, kind of politically speaking, from it is what happened was Gaza was under Israeli military control from 1967. It was like a six-day war. And and there were like some a large Palestinian population and then like some some smaller uh, Jewish communities that kind of like sprung up there in between the cracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was what was called like the disengagement in 2005. Like Israel like unilaterally decided like there's no one to negotiate with right now that's like going to actually sit down at a table with us and like come up with exact terms. So we're just going to like evacuate all the all the Jews and military, like the Jewish civilians and the military positions that are there. And like, you know, just kind of put up a fence and like let them deal with their stuff, we'll deal with our stuff. And then like, there were like elections like immediately afterwards or maybe a year afterwards between like the more moderate Palestinian factions and then Hamas, Hamas who's like in control now was like voted in <clears throat> democratically. Since then, it's just, you know, just went straight in conflicts back and forth between them and Israelis because like they're trying to prove that like their, their whole like reason for being is you know get back the whole land and stand up to you know the oppressive jews whatever it is but but uh so like from there it's kind of all been all been really downhill yeah and god it's so sad too to to think of maybe what could have happened or what compromises could be made but it it, i i that's just from the surface you know i don't i don't exactly know it's weird to see a group 
I don't know. The, this one just boggles my mind. I'm still trying to still trying to figure it out. I feel like we all are. Yeah. So, so I get, I get an answer. Let us know. <laughs> yeah. Oof, no one. No one's found it yet. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I think the, the the big takeaway for me, speaking like more broadly about the the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, is kind of like these like clash of narratives that each person has their own story about themselves that they're that they're telling that like doesn't leave space for the other person's narrative kind of that they're telling. Really, like mainstream Palestinian society doesn't really leave space for like a, a legitimate Jewish claim to the land of Israel. You know, it's kind of about like, okay, yeah, they stole our land, but like they stole this much and like we can at least, you know, remain with the West Bank as like the center of our state. And so like, let's do that. But it's not like, in speaking like in terms of equals, we equally belong to land. On the other hand, uh, a lot of the Jewish narrative is about, you know, we're the one, we were here. It's, about all, it's all back and forth who is here first, you know? Yeah. Oh, we were here 3,000 years ago. You could see evidence, King David is here, whatever. They're like, oh, but we're from like the Philistines who were there before that. And a lot of like back and forth that like people right. don't grant legitimacy to the fact that kind of, kind of going back to what we were saying, what, you know, what is home is like a, a more unclear thing. I think that both people have a legitimate, legitimate claim to like belonging to the land. And I think when we start talking about more about the idea of belonging to the land rather than the land belonging to you, I think that's where like change can, can start to happen. And that's a really good idea because it's, like like you said, it runs thousands of years deep, and I think we sometimes we get obsessed with boundaries and layers. When you know, when I'm walking around the streets, and I went to the West Bank to Bethlehem, and just driving through a little bit, it's you know, it's it, people are still living and moving on, and it's they're part of that even though they have no bo borders i don't know it's still i think like the fact that yeah i think that in general like that because of like what i'm saying about the fact that people don't leave space for like to actually meet the other person and like see them as they are i think things have ended up becoming more like tangled and more complicated because you have kind of political elites who are like going to the negotiating table while like the regular people have nothing to do with it i, I don't really see like the two-state solution which is you know the the, the narrative that's like very very widely accepted is like that's like the only possible solution i don't really see it as like a real fix for the land because as far as i'm concerned when you actually talk about why each person feels they belong to the place you know a palestinian who's living in in nablus now whose family originally comes from jaffa or from lud or from you know dir yassin places that were like part of 1948 as well that's not a up for negotiation have like just as much legitimate claim to live in that part of the land whereas you know, Jews who are saying like, oh, I'm here because this is the land that the Jewish people come from and this is my history. It's Jerusalem and Hebron and, and Nablus. Like those are the cities where, where it really comes from. And their claim to that is just as legitimate as they claim to Tel Aviv. So like the narrative of, you know, because there was a war and the borders fell this way, you know, 50 years ago, that's what it has to be. I feel like it's like not, not necessarily uh, the best way to actually help people learn to coexist and, and live together. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like this idea of, you know, sitting down and like, okay, we can't get a final solution, but like, let's at least get it part way. Let's put up, let's put up a wall. Let's like sign agreement that like, you don't come into this town and I don't come into this town. And then like, you know, we'll slowly disentangle from each other. I feel like the whole disentanglement model like hasn't really worked so far in any real way. I think it just makes people like alienated from one another when you mm -hmm. put up walls between them. And I think like the only, the only solution is like, and it's like a long-term one. It's not like an easy fix that you can like, you know, sign and, and win a Nobel prize. It's about like real people learning to just live together that might take generations yeah. to do yeah you know? it, it, 
not a not a quick solution like you said and i think that was really beautifully said because i mean that you, you see that all over the place people coming together takes a lot of time it takes a lot a lot of time and a lot of people don't realize that and walls just alienating people don't that doesn't help <laughs> that doesn't help people to come together if they have to go through a checkpoint just to see each other so but i think that that's a good segue into the last segment of coming back to you guys so you came from the u.s you found israel as your new home and then you just got kind of plopped into this crazy kind of crazy situation along with a place that you really found as home and israel isn't new to the news and to the headlines for a long time as we we said before but that also has an effect on you a lot of people were put blame on you for the things that are happening here so how do you cope with that so we actually just recently had elections in israel for the knesset which is the israeli parliament and jake and i were talking about how it's very frustrating to uh it was very frustrating to pick someone to vote for because politics got very dirty as politics do but then we kind of needed to take a step back and say, wow, how lucky are we that we have the freedom to choose? And so even if politics don't go in your direction, we had the option to put in our voice to try to decide to move politics in our direction. And I think that that's something really important to remember and also important to remember in how we approach other countries, because I think... I think the way that people see us moving to Israel is that we made the active decision to be here and so we align ourselves with this country. But there are so many things that go on in a country. There are amazing things and there are less amazing things. And so we feel more at home here, but we also feel more at home because we feel like the the things that we care about that we want to stay the same, but also the things that we care about that we want to change, we actually take an active role in that because I know personally I I very much care about the outcome of Israel. And so for me, even if I don't necessarily agree with something that the state of Israel does, I find it very meaningful that I'm to try to take a stand against it. Mm -hmm. And it's very important. And it bring, it's, very, it's really good that you recognize that because I think a lot of people take that for granted, our power to choose. And I guess when things don't, don't go your way, as well and the whole world looks at you like you're crazy it, it happened to us in the u.s but then also here in israel for you guys is there any what advice would you give people looking at you guys to help them better understand your situation or dig deeper than just going with the mainstream prescribed idea that israel is doing a bunch of terrible things I mean, obviously, this is not something that's available to everyone at all. If you have the opportunity, I think, like, coming to see it in person is, like, really the best way to, like, really get to know a place and, like, all of its complications. Like, I don't know, people, like, hear on the news that it's, you know, uh, oh, it's scary. There's, you know, there's terror attacks, there's wars, whatever going on. Like, I mean, you've been here for yeah. know, a week plus already. It's really not like that um, yeah. day to day. I got just an example. I was thinking that, like, I, um, I was, like, talking to a, to a soldier one time when I was in the Army. And I was thought he was saying that he was like, oh, he found out I was from America. He was like, oh, you know, I really want to go visit there. I was like, oh, where do you want to go? He's like, oh, I want to go to, I want to go to LA. This soldier was like uh, uh, an Ethiopian Israeli. He's like, oh, I want to go to LA. Like, I'm too scared to, because I heard they just like shoot black people all the time there. Like the cops just shoot black people. I was like, okay, yeah, if you're just watching the news and like, <laughs> you hear about 
the big uh, news stories that have, you know, when you hear about like, what day-to-day life um, looks like. So I feel like, I don't know, kind of similar thing in reverse. Like when you hear like, when you're more like contextualized situation, you're like, that, that's ridiculous. That's not what it looks like really. You know, there's crazy things that happen sometimes, but like, that's not like what it means to live day-to-day somewhere. So to hear it, like, it's not scary. It's like, you know, you hear about the big news stories, it's safe, it's cool, it's fun. Um, it, when I traveled to Greece one time, someone asked me where I was coming from. And I said I was coming from Israel. They're like, isn't it so scary to live there? I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, isn't it just like desert, camels, and war? I was like, Jeez. what? <laughs> okay, you have never seen pictures of Israel. It's like super modern country. Like, yes, there's a ton of history, but it's also super moving forward. And I don't know, it's just so funny. I think that like, especially, I don't know, it's like, crazy because it's a small country but it's so diverse you can get like political ideas from every spectrum crazy on all sides normal on all sides like (laughs) and it's just it's just crazy because it's like all contained in this tiny little area but i think that's like i don't know there's a lot of like special things that go on yeah there's a lot of diversity and coming to the place makes you realize that's not all just desert and camels and, and war. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God, because that sounds like a terrible place to be. Well, I mean, th- thanks for coming on, guys. I think this is a good way to wrap up the show, and I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, and I'm sure everyone is in this, in this situation. And to I guess to, to lighten the end of the show, too, I have one more question for you guys, because we've been talking about a lot of heavy topics. But going back to you, if... If someone listening out there really has a crush on someone else, maybe from high school, how the hell do they manage the situation like that? What do you think, Elle? Wow. It was a really rough time when James and I would say, well, listen, if you really think that they're a good person at heart, stick through it. Um, you know, I saw that in Jake and I knew even through his high school annoyingness. Um, I saw like the true heart <laughs> at his core. It's a good point that I get to make fun of him for. Um, She's but... really enjoying this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, dig, dig those oh, yeah. I'm just saying like, you know, enjoy your time with the person and see how things roll. That is really, really good advice. That is from someone that's been through it. And Jake? Oh, well, I'm from I'm from the other side. Ooh, from the other side, so what do you cool. what do you think? With the high school crush. Hey, you but, had a crush on me in tenth grade when we went out. It's true. So then I went for it and it worked out great. <laughs> uh, so I feel like that you know that's the other side is like also that like at the end of the day you know if you think that like there might be something there don't be afraid to go for it. Oh man, that's really what I wanted was just a little back and forth from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show and talking about hard topics and fun topics and all in between. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It's so fun. For everyone listening out there, Israel is not just camels, desert, and war. So come out and visit (laughs) and you just might get to meet these guys. So thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of Oyster World Radio. And thanks again, Yael and Jake, for coming on the show. Thanks for helping out this query traveler. And I hope to see you somewhere else. Keep up to date on everything going on in the Big Sabbatical on Instagram at Nathan.Wanders and the blog of my partner in crime, Jackie Gishbacher at Gish, that's G-I-S-H, outofwater.com. Check out the links in the show description for more information. Special thanks to Charlie Milliken for all of the Oyster Jams. 
can check him out on Spotify or at charliemillican.com. That's M-I-L-L-I-K-I-N. Don't forget to support the show on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N at patreon.com forward slash Oyster World Radio. For only $5 a month, you get all of the behind-the-scenes plus some unique travel tips, so don't miss out on upping your game as an expert traveler. Once again, all the links can be found in the show description. Thanks again for tuning in to Oyster World Radio. We'll be back in two weeks, but until then, this is Nathan Lieberman signing off. I can't take control of my life If I'm too busy looking at the stars And thinking about our time that's gone by It's time for a change In my day-to-day scene Time to turn around from that clock Face the mirror and change